All right, good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Y'all glad to be here today? Hey, Christmas is coming. You know, it's, it's next week, and uh, it's my favorite time of the year. Okay, here, I want to start off with a question. How many of you brought your cell phones with you today? All right, yep, that's pretty much just about all of us. Okay, how many of you used your cell phone this week for directions to find out how to get somewhere this week? All right. I could just keep my hand up the whole time because I, I would not know how to go anywhere without Siri telling me uh, where to go. I suffer from uh, directionally challenged syndrome, CDS, and, uh, and uh, I wouldn't know what to do without Siri. But apparently, that's not a good thing. I was reading an article this week about using your cell phone for navigation, and a guy named Roger McKinley, who's an expert in navigation and, and technology, he wrote this. I thought I'd share it with you. He said, our natural navigation abilities will deteriorate as you rely ever more on smart devices. Ooh, right? Uh, navigation is a use it or lose it skill, and research has shown that drivers who follow satellite navigation instructions find it more difficult to figure out where they have been than those who use maps, all right? What's a map, by the way? I don't even know what that thing is anymore, you know? Uh, use it or lose it. I'm not sure I ever had it, all right, to lose it, but, uh, but yeah, it's hard to know where to go without some kind of external help to get you where you need to be. Well, same thing is true in life, all right? We have to navigate all kinds of decisions, all kinds of choices, all kinds of forks in the road. How do I know that this is the right way? How do I know if this is the right approach? Should I take that job? Should we move to that place? Should I go to that school? Should I keep dating this guy or that girl? Should I marry them? You know, all these decisions that we make in life, how do you know that you're on the right road? How do you know that you're making the right choice? I remember when I was a young leader, and I determined that I wanted to plant a church in this area. So I had some, got a core team together and we started plotting out where we we're going to plant this church. And uh, as we went that direction, it seemed like we started hitting one roadblock after another, after another. And then somewhere around that time, I was invited to speak at a college conference in Oklahoma. And so while I was there, there happened to be a search committee uh, from a church in that area that was attending this conference. And so they, they followed up with me and they said, hey, we'd like for you to consider being our pastor. And I said, no, man, I'm planting a church, you know, I'm not going there. And uh, so they called back a second time. I said, no, you don't understand. I told you I'm, I'm planting a church over here, even though God was shutting every door and uh, hard head, right? Hard head. Anyway, and then uh, finally the third time they called and Liz said, look, if they call a third time, take the call and maybe God's in this. And sure enough, it, God was in it. God shut these doors to plant a church. God led us to this church in Oklahoma, which we loved for 11 years. And it's a real blessing. But, you know, I, I had to sense God's direction in all of that. So how do you do that? How do you determine what is the right choice to make? How do you know that the choices you're making are the choices God wants you to make? How do you find, how do you discern godly guidance? That's what we're going to talk about today. And I think that this story that we're going to look at really gives us some great insight, some practical how-to insight on how to discern godly guidance. So get your Bible and open it up to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to be in verse, starting in verse 1 through verse 12, all right? Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. This is the Word of God. 
Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, this story really talks to us about how to find godly guidance. And so there are two main characters mentioned in verse 1, all right? In chapter 2, verse 1, there's some new people that are on the scene, and I want to explain these people to you. First is Herod, uh, the king, and then the wise men, okay? So who, let's start with Herod. Who is Herod? He was often called Herod the Great, Later on in the life of Jesus, you'll see his sons that carried the last name Herod or the name Herod also. Herod Antipas uh, also, that's his son being mentioned. But this is Herod the Great, the father. He, was, he ruled under Roman rule in Palestine during the first century. What do we know about Herod? Well, there are a couple things that we know about him. One is that he was a great builder. In fact, historically, Herod is known for the great structures that he built all over Israel. For example, some of you know about Masada and have heard about Masada. This was actually a palace of King Herod on the shoreline of the Dead Sea, uh, which uh, became a fortress later on uh, where Jewish uh, Uh, men and women held out against uh, Roman occupation. Uh, You may have heard of the Herodian. The Herodian is another palace of King Herod nestled in the foothills outside of Bethlehem. In fact, if you go with us on our trip to Israel, we will take you up to the top of the Herodian and down into that tell to the palace and the tunnels underneath. It's fascinating. Uh, Some of you also uh, may have heard of Caesarea Maritima. This is a port city that Herod built literally out of nothing. He created a massive harbor with pillars that went down into the water. He developed the technology of uh, concrete that could be submerged underwater. Uh, He uh, built theaters, amphitheaters, an immaculate palace there, uh, also a big uh, light, uh, like a lighthouse that would, could be seen for hundreds of miles. It's an aqueduct system that was uh, 
state-of-the-art at that time. So uh, this was a very big feat of his. Also, probably the greatest construction project, of course, was the temple in Jerusalem, where Herod actually rebuilt the temple and expanding it, broadening it to be one of the wonders of the known world. So Herod was known politically as a great builder. But Herod was also known as a very dangerous leader. Herod was a psychopath. He was increasingly uh, paranoid over anyone that would take out his, uh, take away his power or his status. And so any person that posed a threat was immediately killed. Uh, that included his own wife, who he had killed, uh, and three of his sons. In fact, uh, Emperor Augustus, who appointed Herod to his uh, post, said this, he said, it would be better to be Herod's sow than one of his sons, because the pig had a greater chance of survival than a son of King Herod. In fact, Herod was so wicked that he, he ordered the execution of many prominent leaders in Jerusalem at Herod's death so that there would be someone who cried when he died in Jerusalem. Herod was a very paranoid, wicked, dangerous, psychopathic leader. And so now the verse 3 makes sense to you. When it, these, these people from the east came and inquired about a new king, and it says, and Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him, now you know what that means. When Herod gets troubled about someone that might take his place, somebody's going to die. That's how it rolls out. And so everyone was on pins and needles wondering what would happen when Herod got this news. So that's Herod the king. Now, the other group that's mentioned in verse 1 are these wise men. So who are these wise men? I mean, did they, did they really come? Is this really a deal? You know, the, the issue is that this, these wise men are very mysterious. We don't know that much about them. This is the only place in the Bible where they're mentioned. Not mentioned in any other gospel, and it's certainly not mentioned in the book of Acts. So this is the only place where we read about the wise men uh, visiting Jesus. And so because of that, there's a lot of misconceptions about the wise men, a lot of stories and things surrounding them that are not necessarily biblically accurate. For example, you've heard the, the carol, We Three Kings from Orient Are, right? Probably like that song. Uh, there's a lot of misconception even in that song. For example, uh, they were not kings, all right? They were prominent leaders. They were advisors. They were wise men, uh, but they were not kings. There were not three of them. Uh, even though history would like to paint that there were three wise men, the only indication we have is that there were three gifts that were offered of uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but there's no indication there were only three. Chances are there were several of them, and they had a full entourage with them as they came in to Jerusalem. Uh, they weren't necessarily from the Orient as we would think. Maybe some might think of Asia. Uh, think more Persia. Think more Babylon this is most likely where uh, these wise men uh, came from. And uh, they did not show up with Jesus, baby Jesus, in the manger along with the shepherds, okay? Your little nativity set is not accurate, okay? So you need to go home and take out the little wise men and put them somewhere else. By the way, I did that this week. I went through all our nativity sets and I took the little wise men, I put them over here, kind of separate, you know, and, and, and Liz came through and she goes, hey, Who's been messing with my nativities? I said, Abby? No, not really. And I said, well, honey, you don't understand. That's not really uh, theologically accurate to say, hey, put it back. I'm like, okay, all right, all right. 
just know that you may be persecuted for your faith when you stand <laughs> on the truth of God's Word, all right? Um, but anyway, so they, they did show up. Uh, and by the way, another misconception is these are kind of goofy guys. You know, every movie that you have of the nativity, the wise men are kind of the Larry Moe and Curly of the New Testament. They go, whoop, 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 whoop. You know, they're just doing all kinds of weird stuff. And you're like, what? No, no, they weren't silly. They weren't stupid. They were educated. They were prominent. They were advisors uh, to the kings. Uh, they, were, they were in high regard. They were scientists. They were astrologers. Uh, they, they were very wise men of their age. They would be the experts. They would be the pundits of today. They would be the ones at the universities doing cutting-edge research. That's who these guys were, right? They were really the polar opposites of the shepherds. If the shepherds were the down and out, the wise men were the up and in. If the shepherds were the uneducated, pushed aside, the wise men were the ones that were sought after and, and esteemed and prominent, see. That's who these uh, wise men were. You say, well, why would these Persian uh, wise men, advisors, be concerned with or even know about the birth of a Jewish Messiah? Why would that be? And th that is a great question. We're going to find out maybe in heaven all the details of this. But we do have a guess as to why they showed up. You see, in 587 B.C., Jerusalem was overtaken by the Babylonians, ultimately destroyed, and several series of deportations uh, took leaders from Jerusalem and deported them to Babylon, where they were held captive. And you, you probably know some of these names. If, if you've heard of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were certainly in one of those deportations. Uh, one particular one of, of notice and notoriety was a man named Daniel. In fact, the whole book of Daniel depicts this and tells this story of how Daniel was deported to Babylon. And under Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel uh, rose to great power because he could interpret dreams for the king. And uh, because he interpreted these dreams by the power of God, that King Nebuchadnezzar put Daniel over all the wise men of Babylon. So he was in charge of and developed and trained these wise men in Babylon. Now, here's where the conjecture happens. It's quite probable that Daniel trained it, these wise men and within that curriculum trained them about the Messiah to come and the prophecies about the Jewish Messiah. And one of those prophecies spoke about a star. In fact, uh, you can just write in the margin of your Bible, Numbers 24, verse 17. Numbers 24, verse 17. This is what it says. This is a prophecy about the Messiah. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. See, these men were looking for a star as a sign, an indication from God that his Messiah had come. So when they, hundreds of years later now, when they had been hearing this in their training and they had been watching the star and they saw a new star, they immediately interpreted it as a sign from God that the Messiah had been born. And that's why they went to Jerusalem looking for him. Now, the thing I love about this story is, is this story teaches us how to discern godly guidance, how to discern godly guidance. Now, you may say, Craig, you mean to tell me that you, you believe that God actually guides our steps and our choices today, that God cares about these 
seemingly incidental decisions of my own personal life? Absolutely. The Bible teaches that God wants to guide and direct your steps. For example, let me just give you a couple of these. Uh, Psalm 32, 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God is saying, I want to give you counsel and direction and, and help you navigate through life. Another similar verse is Isaiah 30, verse 21. And you will hear uh, a, a word behind you saying, this is a way walk in it when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Probably my favorite verse on God's guidance is Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 through 9. You can write that in the margin of your Bible. Proverbs 2, 6 through 9. This is what it says. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity every good path. You see, God watches over the way of his saints. He watches over the paths of the righteous. He helps you discern every good path. This is the way, walk in it. You will hear a voice. See, over and over, God promises to give you wisdom and direction and guidance in the choices you make in life. So here's, here's the main thing I want you to, to grab a hold of today. God wants to guide your life. He wants to guide your life. He wants to guide your steps. And wise people follow God's guidance. It is a foolish person that doesn't follow God's guidance. It's a foolish person that goes their own way, but a wise person follows God's guidance. You say, well, Craig, how, how does God guide my steps? I mean, how does that actually happen? Well, there are actually four ways that God guides our steps. And this is where it gets really practical. None of this is on the screen, so you're going to have to write this down on your own, all right? So paper out, pen out, write these four things down if you're ever going to need to make a decision ever the rest of your life, all right? I think that's pretty much all of us, all right? Here we go. First way that God gives you guidance is through his word. This is the primary way. The Bible says in Psalm 119, uh, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now imagine that you're in a dark wooded area and you know that there's a path, but you can't see it because it's pitch black. And all of a sudden you turn on your flashlight or you turn on your headlamp and now you can navigate because you can see it. That's what the Bible is like. It illuminates the path and shows you the way that you are to go. Now these wise men, their whole journey started with scripture. It started with the promise of a star. Even later on in their journey, they, they stop and they reconsider again. Where exactly does the Bible say the Messiah is to be born? And they get more information from the scripture. But it always starts with the scripture. You start and say, God, what does your word say about this decision? Is there any, any promise? Is there any instruction? Is there any example? Is there anything in your, any warning? Uh, that, that would give insight to me as the decision that I need to go. So God's word is always the beginning place. What does the Bible say? When somebody says, well, what do you think about this? Your first answer should be, what does the scripture say? What does the scripture say about it? Second way that we gain uh, godly wisdom is through godly counsel or through the counsel of others. Uh, multiple verses about this, Proverbs 19, 20, listen to advice and, and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Another one is Proverbs 12, 15. A wise man listens to advice. Now listen, he's not talking about just any old advice. He's talking about godly advice. 
right? There are a lot of people that are happy to give you advice that you should not listen to, right? Amen? A lot of people that are happy to offer up bad counsel. Man, that's, that's a dime a dozen. But it's the godly counsel, people that walk in wisdom, people that have been successful, people that have discernment. Now, those are the people we want to seek out. And, and the wise men did that. They sought out. They started with the word, but then they sought out advice. They came to King Herod. They thought, well, surely you know about the birth of this king. I mean, we're, we're over here in Babylon, and we know about it. Surely you know about it. They didn't know he was a psychopath, right? But they were seeking advice. So note to self, don't ask advice from psychopaths. You never know what you're going to get at first college, all right? But you seek godly advice, godly counsel. God speaks and helps and directs you through godly counsel. Here's another one. Uh, God guides us through what I call divinely orchestrated circumstances. Divinely orchestrated circumstances. You get that? Divinely orchestrated. What is that? That that just simply means that there are things that happen that you know, okay, (laughs) this, this is... How did, how did this happen? All right. How did this actually, it's not coincidence. It's not chance, but obviously this just so happened to end up this way that I was in the elevator with this guy that knew I needed a job. That's just what I need. I mean, I hear that all the time. Craig, you're never going to believe this. I'm like, yeah, time out. I'm going to believe it. All right. Because that's how God works. God will divinely orchestrate circumstances to bring that person in your life to confirm a direction that he wants you to go. You know, when, uh, when I was trying to decide whether to plant that church. It was a divinely orchestrated circumstance that that person from that search committee and that would be in that place at that time and, and would, would follow up, and there were many more to follow after that. So have you ever experienced that, a divinely orchestrated circumstance? That is one way that God gives us guidance. Um, the wise men, their divinely orchestrated circumstance was a star <laughs> that showed up that was divinely orchestrated to point them toward Jesus, okay? And then the last one is what I call a prompting of the Holy Spirit, a prompting of the Holy Spirit. And what that simply means is that as a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit within you who leads you into all truth. That's his job. And so there will be times when you will feel a strong prompting to speak to this person or to go to this direction. I really feel that God's leading me this way. Or you may feel a prompting of warning, like, man, I don't want to do that. I just don't feel comfortable with that. You need to listen to those things because that's the Holy Spirit directing and prompting you. In this story, the wise men were prompted by the Holy Spirit through a dream. And in this dream, they were warned not to go back the the same way, but to redirect another route, okay? So you see all these three. You see God's, uh, God's word, uh, godly counsel. You see divinely orchestrated circumstances and, and prompting of the Holy Spirit. You find all four of these actually in this story, which is really cool that you see how they are being maneuvered in all these different ways to finally make their way to Bethlehem. So here's the question. If God wants to direct your steps and, and a wise person, will follow godly guidance and follow God's guidance, then what decision are you having to make? Chances are really good that there are many of you in this room right now, you're trying to make a decision. You're trying to decide, you know, I do keep going with that uh, relationship. Do I relocate to Cincinnati? Do, I, do we move our house? Do we downsize? Do we take this thing over here? Do we, you know, how, how do we handle this problem in our home? Do I, do I talk to that person about this situation? You've got all kinds of decisions that you have to make. 
then listen, God has provided these four means for his guidance in your life. A wise person will follow God's guidance. You say, well, Craig, I don't really know exactly. I, I, I get those four things, but I'm not really sure how to apply that to my life. So let me, for the balance of this message, let me give you some very practical things of how to do this, right? How do you actually discern God's guidance and know how to move forward, okay? Because we need this. This is a skill, right? This is a use it or lose it skill, all right, that we need on how to navigate through life. So how do I do that? Okay, I'm going to give you three things. Here's the first one. First one is, and this is going to sound so simple and so intuitive, but it's not. The first one is this. You need to ask God for guidance. You say, well, Craig, of course I'm going to ask God. But you know what? How many guys don't pull over and ask for directions, all right? You know, oh, I got this. I don't need to ask for I can figure it out. I don't need to ask. Siri, what, what is again? Okay. We don't like to ask God. We don't like to ask for directions. And the same thing is true. We don't really like to ask God for guidance. Many times we'll say, oh, I can figure it out. Oh, this is obvious what it should be. Oh, yeah, I know. We're going to do this and this and this and this. And we're going to figure it out. If you're, if you're a type A person, this is the world in which you live. You live in making decisions. You're getting paid to make decisions. Of course I know how to make decisions. Why do I need to ask God for guidance? And so this attitude that I've got this, I, I'm smart enough to figure this out, that I don't need to ask God for guidance, is the whole reason why many kings in the Old Testament utterly failed. Because in their pride, they thought they could figure it out instead of humbling themselves and say, God, I need your help. Would you please show me what I need to do? Show me the direction that I need to go. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Do you need wisdom on a decision? Do you need godly insight that is far above your own? God's perspective is far above your own? Do you need God's direction insight? Ask him for it. King David prayed this prayer out of Psalm 25, 4. He said, make, make known to me your paths, O Lord. Teach me your path. That is King David. This is the greatest leader ever in Israel. The greatest, most decisive leader that has ever reigned. The guy that, that is held out even still today as the greatest leader. And yet he prayed this simple prayer repeatedly, Lord, show me your path. The great leaders, whether they be leaders in, in business or industry or leaders in homes, always start with this prayer. Lord, show me the right thing. Lord, show me that I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to go off course. I don't want to go on a detour. I want to do exactly what you want me to do. Lord, show me your path. And then once you pray that prayer, then you go to work. All right? You go to work. What does your Bible say? Does the scripture have anything to say about this decision? Is there a promise? Is there an instruction? Is there an example? Is there a warning? You got to do your work. Then start asking godly counsel. Is there any other wise people we, that know the word, that walk with God, that have made good choices in the past that I could bounce this off of and get their godly discernment and wisdom? Then is there any, any uh, divinely orchestrated circumstances that might verify this direction? Or is there an internal prompting of the spirit that, that God is directing you that? You got to put all those things together. And I encourage you as you're making a decision to write these things down. 
I will talk to people. They'll say, I've got this big decision to make. And I'll say, so are you reading the scripture? Oh, of course. I read the Bible all the time. But I said, no, no, no. Are you reading it with your question in mind? See, that's a whole different thing. You need to start off and say, Lord, I need to know this decision. I, my back's against the wall. I, gotta make the, I don't want to make the wrong one. God, as I read your word, would you just pop off the page? Would you just illuminate for me any warning or direction I need in order to make this decision? Because you promised me in James chapter 1, if I need wisdom and if I ask you for it, that you will give it to me, right? So as you do that, you get out your pen and paper. And you start journaling all these things down. And I found when I've done this, and I've done this now over many, many years, right? And I found God has never failed me to give me direction specific out of the word that I can go back to and say, no, God gave me a promise there and there and there. And now we're just going to lay our ears back and we're going to go for it. And we're going to do it. Okay. Ask God for direction. Second thing that is very practical is this. You need to uh, follow God's lead even when you don't have all the answers. Follow God's lead, even when you don't have all the answers. I love the fact that the wise men jetted out, having seen this star, and they didn't know where it was going to be born. They, there were still a lot of questions that they didn't have, but that didn't keep them from starting. Now listen to me. There are two mistakes that you make in, in decision making. One decision, one mistake is to charge ahead without ever asking God, right? That's what we just talked about. The second a problem or mistake is that we hear from God and we don't follow him because we think we have to have everything dialed in and nailed down before we will ever take the first step. That is equally a bad decision. And some of you are like that. You go, well, I know I feel like God called me to do this. I feel like God let me do that. And yeah, there was out of his word and yeah, there was godly counsel and yeah, I could see some circumstances that were lighting up and yeah, but, 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 you know, I still don't really, you know, God, could you just nail it down one more time? God, could you just give me one more confirmation? God, could you, you know, no, enough with that. You need to move forward. This is what we call walking by faith. All right. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, he's talking about heaven. He goes, man, for, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He's talking about the great things about heaven. And then the very next word is, so we, therefore, we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, that's interesting. He says in heaven, we're going to have, we don't need faith in heaven, right? Because it's all sight. Then in heaven, we're going to know everything. It's going to be crystal clear. But we're not in heaven. We're on earth. And so while we're on earth, we need to walk by faith. These wise men did that. They saw the star. They knew the promise. And so they headed in the direction, trusting that God would go before them and provide what they need, which he did. He provided everything they needed. Listen, God wants to do that in your life too. And if you're white knuckling and holding back because you're afraid, because not every, every detail is marked down and set in stone, then you'll miss it. Remember, Every step of obedience leads you to another step of obedience, and that's called walking by faith. But if you never take the first step of obedience because you're afraid, you will never walk with God. You understand that? So don't, let, don't feel like you've got to have all the answers before you move forward. And then this last one, uh, God will guide your steps, but make it your goal to honor Christ. Make it your goal to honor Christ in every decision. These wise men, their whole goal was to get to the Messiah and honor him, to worship him, to bow before him. 
Listen, wise people make it their goal to honor Jesus. So here's the question. Would this decision honor Christ? That's the question. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, so we make it our goal to please him. We make it our goal to please him. So would this decision bring honor to God? Or can I make this decision in a way that honors Christ and honors this other person? That is a very important part of the decision-making process. Listen, God wants to guide your steps. God wants to guide your life. Every detail of your life matters to him. The Bible says every hair on your head, he knows. Every, every thought in your mind, he knows. Every direction in life, he created you to complete and fulfill a purpose. He wants to guide your steps. The question is, are you wise enough to follow his lead? Wise people follow God's guidance. Just think what it would be like in your life if you knew it with every decision, man, I sought God, God's given me direction, and I'm, I'm right where I need to be. Wouldn't that be great? Just think of the peace of mind, how God would use you. But just think what you'd be missing out if you lived your whole life making your own choices and never really knowing if you were right where God wanted you to be. God wants to guide your steps. You need to listen to him.